Good morning. Psalm 19, verse 14, it's the last verse of the psalm, says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, My desire this morning is that we would all leave with that being our prayer that the words that come out of our mouths, the, the thoughts that are in our minds and hearts would, would please the Lord, would be acceptable to God. Because uh, too often, the words that come out of our mouths come from the thoughts in our mind, and they are not acceptable to God. They're not pleasing to Him in the least bit. Um, who here has ever blurted out words in haste? And as soon as they came out of your mouth, yeah. I don't need to go any further, right? And as soon as they came out of your mouth, you so longed to be able to gather them back and bring them back to yourself and just pretend that never happened. But once they're out there, they're out there. And you thought, oh my goodness, that was not good. Ever done that before? Well, James wants to address that this morning. We all have a problem with our tongues. Remember back in James chapter 1, back several weeks ago now, Verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. Religion, that can be used in a negative way. James means whoever thinks that his worship, that he's he's worshiping God in an acceptable way, and yet is unable to bridle his or her tongue, it's worthless. Words are so massively important. The Bible never affirms. I mean, th- there's, a, there's a sense where talk is cheap if, it do, if it's not followed up with action. But the Bible never just outrightly, outright affirms the statement, talk is cheap, because our words are not cheap. Our words are very important. Think about the Trinity, right? At the very beginning, in the beginning, there was God. And there was nothing else, Right? It was just God and this formless void. And then what did God do? He spoke words. He spoke words and created everything in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 is given the name. In the beginning was the word. He is called the word. He is God's message. He is the word of God incarnate. And the Bible, of course, we call it the Word of God, authored by the Holy Spirit. So words are massively important. Not only are God's words important, but you and I, as image bearers of God, we have this incredible privilege of speaking words. There's no other part of creation. I mean, creatures, you know, animals communicate in a way, but they don't speak words like we do. We have this amazing privilege of being able to write words and speak words and sing words. But let's face it, we often do not use this privilege wisely. We often do great harm with our words. It doesn't take very long for us to realize that the childhood mantra, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is totally untrue, right? We all have been hurt by words, and we all have hurt others with our words. The Bible has a lot to say about our words, about how we use our tongues. The book of Proverbs, these 31 chapters in about the middle of the Bible speaks a ton about godly words and ungodly words. Here's just a sampling. 
Oftentimes in the same verse, it contrasts godly words and ungodly words. Here's, here's some examples. Proverbs twelve eighteen, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 14, 3. By the mouth of, of a fool comes a rod for his back. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Psalm, or Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Here's the point. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I think that verse has been misused often. We don't create reality with our tongues. The next part of the verse says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, we will eat the fruit that our tongue has produced, either bitter or sweet. And we know that all too well. James 3, 1 to 12 is like the diagnosis of a wise doctor. It gives us a remedy as well, but we need to see the diagnosis of Dr. James, or really from the Holy Spirit speaking through James. And we need to see this, we just need to face this head on. See, there's this tendency to take this passage and miss or abuse it in one of two ways, or err in one of two ways in how we receive it. Either we assume that it has very little to say to us because it's speaking in hyperbolic or kind of exaggerated ways, so it can't be speaking to me. It's not saying that my tongue is like a restless evil, is it? Or we tend to only think about other people who need to hear this, don't we? Oh man, if so-and-so was here, I need to get so-and-so to hear this. No, we need to hear this, every single one of us. James includes himself in this when he's speaking. James, the, the brother of Jesus. James, the apostle. James, the author of this book. Or we tend to view this passage, James uh, 3, 1 to 12, and we just, we're hopeless because it doesn't seem to give us the three steps we need to take in order to fix the problem of our tongue. But the Bible always has the aim of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says, All of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent and fully equipped for every good work. So everything in Scripture, even something that seems challenging right here, is good for us. It's good for teaching and, and reproof and correction for training in righteousness so that we are equipped. So we're going to look at this passage. We're going to face it head on. We're going to let it address us this morning, aren't we? We're going to let it speak to us. We're going to let it diagnose our problem. And then at the end, we're going to look at the remedy it prescribes for us as well. So what I want to do is I want to take these 12 verses and break it up into four sections. James 3, 1 to 12, tells us about the challenge of taming the tongue. It also tells us about the power of the tongue. It talks to us about the damage that is caused by the tongue. And then it tells us about the inconsistencies that plague our tongues. 
So let's just take these one at a time. First, then the challenge of taming the tongue, verses 1 and 2. It starts off by telling us that not many people should desire to be teachers. Interestingly enough, I just thought of this, you know, late yesterday. I was like, this is, this is strange. I mean, James is, you know, this is meant to be read and taught. And even as I stand up here and teach, I am, the, the paradox is that I am inviting greater judgment on myself because I'm seeking to explain this text. The point is, the reason given is that those who teach will incur a stricter judgment than everyone else. Anyone who seeks to open up God's word and speak on behalf of God and say, this is what God is saying through this text, will receive a stricter judgment. The second reason given, now listen to this carefully, is because we all stumble in many ways. Some need to hear that this morning. We all stumble in many ways ways. Just let that land on you and humble you. James, including himself, says we all stumble in many ways. And then he goes on to hint that particularly in the way that we speak, particularly with our tongues, we stumble. We sin. The challenge of taming the tongue is great because we all stumble in many ways. The power of the tongue in verses 3 to 5. James uses three comparisons to show how the tongue is very small, but very powerful. First, he compares the tongue to a bit that you'd put into a horse's mouth. It's like he says the tongue is like this small thing that can move an entire body of a large, strong animal. The second comparison is Uh, He says it's like a rudder that can steer an entire ship. These gigantic ships with these comparatively tiny little rudders that steer the entire vessel. I've been, uh, had the privilege or blessing of being on a couple of cruises in my life. And these ships are enormous. I mean, a thousand feet long. They weigh like a hundred thousand tons. And then you got this rudder. It's big. But compared to the ship, it's tiny. And yet that's what steers the entire boat. That's what our tongues are like. They have great power, death and life in the power of the tongue. The third comparison is to a small flame that starts a forest fire. A little flame that starts a forest fire. Over the last 10 years or so, I've spent a fair amount of time, usually go out to Colorado once a year or so and do camping or stay at a cabin or something like that. And oftentimes, if it's particularly dry in Colorado, they have signs to make sure you're putting fires in the appropriate places because a little flame or even just a little ember in the wrong place can start this brush on fire and cause a great forest fire. Our tongues are like this little flame that can cause a mighty forest fire. In Proverbs chapter 16, listen to verses 27 and 28. It says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. 
Later in Proverbs chapter 26, it talks about the tongue and our speech being like a fire when it says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It's like with whispering words and just gossip and slander and we whisper about so-and-so. What is that doing? It's setting in motion a much larger fire that before long will be nearly impossible to put out. How many families have been scorched, burned to the ground because of an untamed tongue? Many, many have. Some here know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe the home you grew up in, maybe the home that you're in right now. The power of the tongue is great. James also addresses the damage caused by the tongue. Verses 6 to 8, he calls it a world of unrighteousness. I think the NIV says a world of iniquity. It's a, it's a world of sin. It's like he's telling us that the tongue is this microcosm of all the evil in the world. Next, it's, he says that it's, 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 it's a small member that's set among the other members that stains our entire bodies. Contrast that with, with verse with verse 2, when it says if a man is able to bridle his tongue or, or tame his tongue or hold his tongue in check, he's able to bridle his entire body. But an untamed tongue stains the entire person. I think at least a, a, an, Im- an image I had in my mind was of a beautiful woman. I mean, we just we'd look at her and say she's a beautiful woman. And as soon as she opens her mouth and spews out vile, vulgar language, it just does something. It seems to stain the entire person. That's what James is saying here. Jesus says almost the same thing in Matthew 15. When there was a conversation about foods, unclean foods and clean foods, and Jesus says, what you put into your mouth isn't what defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. What comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. What comes out of our mouths are evil thoughts, murder, he says, adultery. These are the things that come out of our hearts and and it shows or bears witness by what we say with our mouths. The damage caused by our tongues. Next, James says, it sets on fire the entire course of life. When kids are young, they complain. When they grow up, they, they are critical. When they get older, they gossip, right? It's just this, this wheel of life is the actual literal term here, this, or literal phrase, this, the wheel of life. It sets on, on fire the course of life. Some can look in their history and look at a a past that is scorched. 
by the way that they've used their tongues. And it also says that because it's setting on fire the, the course of life, there are some, because of the way they use their tongues, they are constantly walking through fires of their own making because of how they've spoken to others. Oftentimes when we blow it, instead of saying, sorry, we blame others. When we succeed or someone we love succeeds, instead of being humble, we brag about it. Our tongues are just sets on fire the course of life. James goes on to say that the, son, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life and it itself is set on fire by hell. Here's what gives the tongue its destructive quality. It is set on fire by hell. Certainly the evils of the tongue come from the heart, but in another sense, the evils of the tongue come from Satan himself. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. I can't imagine, I I can't help but think that James, as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, isn't thinking about the serpent in the garden. Because he goes on to say, That is this restless evil. It's always looking for prey, ready to break out at any moment. It's full of deadly poison. It's full of deadly poison. It's got this poisonous venom like a serpent, ready to inject its venom in its victim. Romans chapter 3, Paul, as he... To sum up the universal sinfulness of man, in verses 10 to 18, he says, there's none righteous, there's none good, no one seeks after God. And then he spends about four verses. And almost every verse and every phrase is talking about the tongue and the lips. And he says, the venom of asps is under their lips. I know that sometimes when I am just, when I am out of sorts in my heart, the words that come out of my mouth, the tone in my voice, I need this. I need this diagnosis from James. So there's the challenge of taming the tongue. There's the power of the tongue. There's the damage caused by the tongue. And then there's also the inconsistencies that plague the tongue, verses 9 to 12. James says, with the same tongue, blessing is given to God and curses to people made in God's image. Blessing is given to God. God, you're amazing. You're awesome. And then we leave church and we start blasting our child or our spouse who's made in the image of God. John says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love the person next to you that you see? There's something massively disconnected there. I picture a family. And listen, this is a family like my family. We struggle with these things. On Saturday night, sitting around the dinner table where it starts with prayer, we start with blessing God. Thank you, Lord, for this food that we're about to eat. 
for everyone to get gathered around the table. And before long, there's sarcastic comments. There's gossip. There's slander. There's put-downs. There's complaining about the food that mom made or something else. Sunday morning comes around and it's just the same as the husband and wife are getting ready for church. There's yelling, hurry up! Get out of the bathroom! You always make us late! The family shows up to church. The singing starts. Mom and dad and the kids join in praising God and blessing God. James says, my brothers, it ought not to be this way. He says, it shouldn't be this way. Out of these same lips, from this same tongue, we should not be uttering blessing and praise to God, telling him how amazing he is, and then turning to someone who's made in his image and telling them how worthless they are. Shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. James says, how can it be that from, or he says, how can this be? It shouldn't be this way. Then he says, can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives, or a grape tree, grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. James has given us a diagnosis, and as we suspected, as we suspected, it's serious, and the problem goes deep. We need the diagnosis, though. We really need this diagnosis. It is, it, I, I liken it to this. If you had four-stage cancer and you went to a doctor, would you want him to tell you the whole truth? Yeah, you would. (laughs) Tell me everything. Tell me how bad it is, especially if he had a remedy for you. It would be unwise, it would be unhelpful, and it would be uh, unloving. In fact, it would be hateful to go to a doctor and you had four-stage cancer, and because he doesn't want to hurt your feelings or because he doesn't know how you're going to take it, he's like, everything's pretty much okay. We need this diagnosis. We need this. We need to know the, the damage and the power of our tongues. James has given us a diagnosis, but there is a remedy as well. There is a prescription there is hope. I mean, if, if somebody were to ask, is there hope though? I mean, is there any hope from, for me with my filthy mouth, with my tongue that is scorched? All of the important people in my life? Yes, there is. A thousand times, yes, there is. There's hope. And much of it comes right from our text. Here's the remedy. First, let everyone who is honest and can see that your tongue is described here. Say so to God. Agree with him. Don't blame shift. 
don't say, well, if, if so-and-so didn't this or that or the other thing, or I inherited this from my dad or mom or whatever, this hot temper. No, no, no. No. Tell God, confess to God, this describes me. To some degree, to some degree. I'm not saying Christians, we don't see improvement. Certainly we do. But we need to be honest before God and in our own hearts that this is the diagnosis of my tongue. So confess to God. Say the same thing that God says about our tongues. Admit it. Be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Right? He, had this, he had this vision of, of the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The seraphim were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The foundations of the temple shook and Isaiah said, oh my goodness, I am undone. And then he said this, I am a man of unclean lips. Can you say that? I'm a man of unclean lips. He goes on to say, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Confess to God. Listen to what verse 10 says. I mean, this is James helping us by putting words in our mouth. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Don't you agree with that? This shouldn't be. I mean, you just tell God, Lord, these things that come out of my mouth, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. James is helping us. He's giving us the words to say. Say, God, it shouldn't be this way. Complaint and worship, putting down others, my brother and sister in Christ, my spouse, my child, and blessing Jesus, lying and praying to God, boasting in self and boasting in God. All of this comes from the same tongue. It shouldn't be this way. And then take the next step and turn away from it. Repent, confess and repent. Confess to God. Say the same same thing God says about our problem and then turn from it. Turn away from it. Part of confessing and part part of walking before God in integrity with our tongues, though, Part of con- we confess to God first because we have sinned against him first and foremost. But let's face it, there's people we need to go to as well. There's people we need to go to and confess to them the way that we have harmed them and abused them with our words. I don't want you to turn in and get all introspective, but as people come to mind, be obedient. Go to them. So we confess and repent. Then we abide in the source of life. We abide in the source of life. Verses 11 and 12, when it talks about a spring pouring forth both bitter and sweet water, a fig tree bearing uh, olives and 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 a grapevine producing figs. I think he's... I mean, certainly talking about our tongues doing both of these things. I mean, spewing out blessing, spewing out cursing and blessing to God. But I also think he's pointing to where do we go? We go to the source of life. 
right? The source of life, a source of life or a tree brings forth water or fruit in keeping with its kind. What is the source of our life? It is the Lord Jesus himself, right? He is our source. And as we abide in Christ, the fruit of abiding will come forth. The fruit of abiding with a changed tongue. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Nothing. You can bear fruit if you remain in the vine, though. And what fruit are we after this morning? We want our tongues to be changed. We want to speak life and not death. We want to speak refreshing words and not scorch the people around us with inflammatory words. We want our tongues to be changed. And so we abide in Christ. Not only do we want to abide in Jesus, the vine, our tree, the spring of life, right? This inexhaustible fountain of life. We want to stay there. Not only that, but we want his words to abide in us. Listen to Jesus in John 15, 13. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. And I just want to make one application from that. If we, if, if we abide in Jesus and his bur- words abide in us, then it is safe to speak with our mouths. We want to be in him. We want his words to be in us. We want to think his thoughts and speak his words after him. So remain in Christ, the vine. Draw from Christ, the inexhaustible fountain, and remain there. Draw near to him today. Draw near to Jesus now. Draw near to him right this minute. You can't do anything apart from him. Not a single thing of value. So draw near to Jesus right now. You might say, but I I know the harm that I've caused with my tongue. I am, I am, I'm like, I'm like Isaiah. I'm this man with an unclean mouth then the first place we ought to go to is to Jesus. To be cleansed, to be washed, to be made clean in him. So we want to confess and repent. We want to say what God says about our sin and turn from it. We want to come to Jesus and abide in him. We want to seek God's power to tame our tongues. Verse 8 says very clearly, no human being can tame the tongue. We can't do it. But it says no human being can tame the tongue. God can tame the tongue. Can't he? God can tame the tongue. Human beings are very uh, ingenious in how they're able to work with animals and tame all sorts of animals. Gigantic elephants and eagles that land on people's arms and tigers and all of this. But we can't tame our tongues. And so we ought to, in desperation, go to God and say, God, here's my tongue. Tame it. Change it. Sanctify it. Seek God for what only he can do. Learn to pray like David. Listen to what David prayed. Psalm 141. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You 
in humility and desperation, we need to seek God to change our tongues, to give us power to speak differently. Sometimes just not even to speak, right? There's a proverb that says, even the fool, when, he, when he's quiet, people think he's wise. Sometimes, a be- sometimes we just need to learn just to not talk. I think of uh, Job, at the end of Job. J- Job is an interesting book. There's about 30-some chapters of conversation between him and two, th- uh, three of his friends. And then God comes in at the end, the last three or four chapters, and God begins to address Job. And at one place, Job says, you know what? I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth and be quiet because I need to listen. Seek God to tame your tongue. Pray like David and trust God to work in you. And finally, we want to confess and repent. We want to abide in Christ. We want to seek God for the power to change our tongues. And finally, we want to make a covenant with our tongues. Make a covenant with your tongue. What does that mean? Well, Job, Job in, I think it's Job 31, he says, I will make a covenant with my eyes that I will not look on a virgin. David says something similar, I think. He says, I will put no worthless thing before my eyes. So he made a covenant with his eyes. Both of those men did. We need to make a covenant with our mouths. David says in Psalm 17, I have purposed with my mouth that it will not transgress. In other words... We need to make resolves before God by his grace, trusting in his power to actually speak differently. We don't want to wait for fairy dust to fall on us. We want to seek God. We want to abide in Christ. And then we want to make deliberate choices and resolves to speak in a different way than we have. And realize this is going to look different for everyone here because we're in different places and we, some have grown more than others in this. Here are just a few things, though, from even just the book of James. James 1.19, purpose to do this. Purpose to be quick to listen and slow to speak. When I'm having conversations with people, I, this is a weakness of mine. I, I just know it. I'm always ready to jump in. I just have something to say. Sometimes I just need to be quiet and listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 2.12, purpose to do this. Purpose to speak in light of the final judgment when we will stand before Jesus Christ. Here's what James says, James 2.12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We will stand before Christ someday 
Jesus says this. I mean, I've, I've thought about this verse many times because I know I just, I speak careless words. Jesus says, every careless word will be brought up at judgment. Every careless word. So speak in such a way that you are taking into account, you're going to stand before Christ someday. And you're going to give an account for every word that came out of your mouth, for every act that you took. James 4.11, here's something else we should purpose to do. Purpose to not speak evil against any other Christian ever. Ever. And we need to help each other with this, don't we? Husbands and wives, when, when, when one's tempted to whisper about so-and-so, and can you believe what they're struggling with? I can't believe it. We need husband, wife to say, oh, no, no, hon, let's not do that. Let's pray for them. Purpose to never speak evil about another Christian ever. I mean, purpose now. I mean, let's, let's say, let's not speak evil about anybody, but James in particular is talking about the brothers, the brothers and sisters. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And let's go further. Let's not just not speak evil, but let's heap blessing on others. That's what Peter tells us to do. He says, speak blessing because this is what you are going to inherit, a blessing from God. When we're tempted to speak about somebody in a gossiping manner or in a slanderous way, or when we're tempted to, to libel someone, let's purpose today by God's grace with all of his help to instead turn in prayer for that person. And let's purpose to do this as well. James 5.13, let's purpose to speak often to God in prayer and praise. Here's what James says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. doesn't say, is anyone suffering? Let him go to the phone and find someone to complain to. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. doesn't say, if anyone's cheerful, get on Facebook and say, Josh feels cheerful today. I mean, you can do that too. But let's sing praise to God. Let's turn our attention to God when we're suffering. Let's go to God and open our mouths and use these tongues to seek help from him. When we're cheerful, let's go to God. Let's use these mouths and these tongues, sanctified tongues to give praise to where praise is due to God. And we could go on and on and on. Let's make a covenant with our tongues. Let's say like David, I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. No doubt David probably sinned with his mouth again. He did, no doubt. 
But before God, let's make that same purpose. Let's make that same resolution. I love, it's either First or Second Thessalonians, I can't remember, where Paul says, may God fulfill your every resolve for good. May God fulfill every resolve you make for good. So when we make good resolves like this before God, trusting in his power, trusting in his strength, he will fulfill it. He will fulfill it. He will grow us in this. Here's one thing we shouldn't do. Some, some have been so abused by others that it's hard to see that we are all part of this. We all are part of this problem of using our tongues in inappropriate ways. I just want to beg you and urge you and appeal to you to not just be thinking of somebody else who needs this, but you need this and I need this. Isaiah chapter six, I mentioned this earlier. Isaiah sees the Lord. He has this, this vision. Maybe it's a Christophany. It might be a G, Christ before he was incarnate. We don't know for sure, but it's the Lord, high and lifted up. He is struck. He says, I am done. undone. He says, I am falling apart. I'm coming apart at the seams. He falls down. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the Lord. It says shortly thereafter, one of the seraphim, seraphim took these burning hot coals and came over to him and touched his lips and seared his lips and says, now you're clean. Shortly thereafter, the Lord says, who shall we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God gives him a commission to go and use his mouth that just prior was unclean and unfit to speak to God's people. Let's be like Isaiah today and humble ourselves before a holy and magnificent and righteous and glorious God and and just say, I'm a man, a woman of unclean lips and trust in him to come and clean our lips and make us fit to speak on his behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this really challenging but amazing text this morning. Help us, God, I pray. Help us to not speak death, but to speak life with our tongues. And where we have spoken death, where we have scorched and burned relationships. Give us, God, the strength by, your, by the power of your spirit to go and make things right. Jesus, you said if we stand at the altar and pray and anyone has anything against us, we ought to drop everything, leave everything there and go and make things right. Father, I pray that our lips, our tongues, the houses, homes represented here, and this church would be a place where life is spoken. Life is spoken. We're abiding in Christ. His words are abiding in us. But God, we realize we need your help. 
So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and help us to navigate this text, both the diagnosis as well as the remedy, the prescription for us. And may we, like David, say, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. I pray this for the sake of your name and for the sake of the good of everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.